Welcome back to another episode of the Good Buddy Sports Bar. This week you got Skinny Burt and with me again after a couple of weeks off. AP, what's going on? Not much, man. I kind of burnt out on all the golf coverage for a little while there after the Ryder Cup, so it was nice to take a little bit off, but get back at it right now. Absolutely. I think it's a good time to be chatting. There's a lot of things going on between Zozo last week, the team championship the individual championship the week before that we were talking let's let's go through some of the merger stuff because we're coming up on some of the deadlines that they had set out and where are they now versus where do we think they're going to be going into the future and you brought up a good one just as we were about to get on let's chat about the grant thornton because i think that's turning into something that could be fun for the future so yeah i love the uh i love the format of it i think it's I'm excited to watch it, so we can yeah. definitely chat about it. Yeah, I'll have you break down the formatting, and then we can chat more about it. But um, let's get started off with our kind of individual wrap-ups for the year. Um, we're into the part of the season here in BC where all the closest, all the courses are closing slowly but surely. Um, the Rise closed, I think it was last week. I'm sure Pred isn't too far behind, and then Spal's probably going to stay open until there's snow on the ground. But overall... What were your thoughts on your year, your highs, your lows? What do you got to work on in the offseason? Oh, I just can't get off the tee, man. Like, I just try and kill it off the tee all the time, and it's so stupid. If it wasn't for my short game, I would have had a disastrous year. If you didn't have a short game, there'd be no game at all? Yeah, precisely. I mean, irons are good. Irons are decent. You know, you miss a green, luckily – Short games there, and I think part of the reason I was missing greens was I can't hit a fairway to save my life. So, yeah, my yeah. off season is in the sim, working on driver, three wood, whatever else I use to find fairways because that was my big, the biggest weakness in my game was that. Yeah, and I listened to the guy from Marco's Golf, I think his name's Lou, and he was talking about that um, if you can keep more balls in play off the tee, you're going to dramatically lower your handicap or your score. For you, it's going to be a little bit tougher because you're already a single digit. And it's funny you bring up off the tee because I was having that same problem. So um, maybe we look at the crank driver in the Yeah, I, it's got nothing to do with the equipment, man. <laughs> It's got or nothing to do with the equipment I purchased. It has everything to do with the equipment between my ears. Fair. Maybe a sports psychologist is in your future. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully one that costs no money. I mean, it, it realistically was, you know, I was hitting the driver well. Didn't really need to hit three wood off the tee or fairway finder because the driver was working. Driver goes to shit for whatever reason. Then I have this like increased pressure and anxiety to hit a fairway with something other than driver because I can't hit driver. And then those clubs go to complete hell. And I find myself just like hitting six irons off tees when I shouldn't be. Yeah, it's tough when you got that increased pressure and you're taking something that's less than driver. So now even if you do miss the fairway by a bit and you're in the rough, you're now like 20, 30, 40 yards back of where you'd normally be. So now you're hitting like seven iron instead of pitching wedge. Yeah, so I exactly. Hear I hear you. Yeah. Overall, I'd say 
similar. My short game was not nearly as polished as yours was. Didn't spend enough time working on it. I would say I had a decent year with the putter, so I was happy with how I putted overall. Just like getting off the tee was costing me way too many strokes, and that's why I couldn't get off that 10 handicap all year. Um, from a course standpoint, I'll, I'll get into it first because I think uh, overall I was happy with some of the courses I got to check off this year. I got to play Banff Springs overall i think it's got that like classic architecture to it it was cool being at the base of the mountains there playing in banff and uh in some beautiful settings and then playing mickelson national was another one that was great for me um didn't get too many more courses in outside of those two but like still two great courses to add to the list overall for you what was your year like what was your favorite course that you played Oh, Mickelson National, hands down. And you it, played Tobiano too. I did. Yeah, true. I did play Tobiano. Tobiano is special, but I kind of knew what I was getting myself into when I went to Tobiano. You know, it being a McBroom course, you know, seeing the pictures of it everywhere, you kind of have an idea. You know, I play Tower Ranch enough throughout the year that, you know, Tobiano. They're very similar, but Nick Mickelson National was definitely the one of the ball that stood out. I didn't really get any other, you know, I didn't go on any unique golf trips. You know, I still like Taboo. I think a dark horse one that, you know, is never going to make any lists or anything, but South Muskoka was tons of fun to play yeah. um, when we played it. But, you know, Mickelson National is everything people are saying about it and you know ever since i finished playing it the first time i just wanted another crack at it yeah tough course but like we talked about in previous podcasts if you just get aggressive on that course you can score and it's all about having wedges into those greens because they roll them i don't even think they roll them fast it's just the undulation on the greens is ridiculous so yeah i mean um, if you're comfortable with your short game and i am and you're semi-comfortable getting off the tee, you should have a ton of fun there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great match play gambling course. Wolf would be a great game there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I forgot about Taboo. Taboo, we had a great experience there just because there was nobody teeing off after us for about two hours. So we really had the course to ourselves, And to be able to play as a nine-some coming in was a pretty cool experience. Having nine dudes teeing off all at once was really cool. Yeah, so I forgot about that, but uh, it's. I think that's a good track too. A lot of placement golf because you're in the Canadian Shield with those big pine trees all around you. But good track, lots of fun, in good shape. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a good one too. Yeah, I mean, it just Taboo is a great course. It just reminds me of like the Ridge at Predator. You know, like it's it uses the the topography, if you will, of the area perfectly and, and the nature and all of that. And, and it just fits right in. I think it does funnel more than we thought it might have. Yeah. Looking back on it, it's probably hard to get the funnel if you can't hit the fairway anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, Taboo is always on my list. Anytime we're in Muskoka and there's time for golf, go play Taboo. Yeah resort course so you got to have some yeah. of that funneling similar to the ridge and um i'll put a definition for topography because that's a big word for our listeners so i'll put that at the bottom there of the show yeah, perfect yeah 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 all right yeah 
overall, I thought it was a pretty good year. I think there's a lot more for myself to explore. We want to get Sagebrush next year. I think that's definitely on the list of places to go. That was and a big then, miss that we didn't get it this year. I mean, it's only an hour and a half away, um, at least for me, two hours from you. But I think we definitely, that needs to be a must play next year. Yeah, and they got that deal. I think that was the other thing. We were trying to set it up for the deal for the Saturday or Sunday, Monday. You could play unlimited golf on the Sunday, play another round on the Monday and stay there. And I think it was like four ninety nine for a top fifteen course in Canada. So definitely gotta do that. Yeah, um, especially with the way the prices are going for any of those courses that got, that get ranked high. Yeah. Well, another one, so we talked about Shadow Creek the other week. Um being 1500 somebody posted the other day that they're trying to book a time at tpc sawgrass and a single time was 900 bucks and that yeah. was knocked over you know uh, you could convince me to pay 900 dollars to play tpc sawgrass before you could p- convince me to pay 900 dollars to play shadow creek solely because of the fact it's tpc sawgrass Fair. There's a history there. It's the Players' Championship. Yeah, I mean, I've already 17. birdied 17 there because I played it at Wooden <laughs> Sticks. But, you know, it, uh, yeah, it's just got more. I hate when they rank courses based on their, you know, the history and, and that side of things. But TPC Sawgrass kind of gets a pass on that one. Yeah, the only thing that I see, and I'm looking more so at the, golf industry in general i see this being kind of the top signal for where we're going to be like the moment that you start charging those astronomical prices tells me that we're at the top of where we're going to be i i see there being a kind of a downtrend in the golf industry over the next two years and probably in three years we're going to be seeing some of the low to mid-level courses closing because I think foot traffic's going down. People are starting to vacation more because the world's open back up. People aren't spending all their money on golf, on golf equipment. So I see this as kind of the top signal um, when you start getting the price gouging. Um, and you see it in other industries too, when inflation hits hard. In those industries, people are trying to take price increases to quell demand. I see this as being kind of that same indicator. Yeah, I mean, you take the price increase because you think people are willing to pay it and it in, in most situations. And once they stop, then you have to reevaluate what your pricing is. I can also appreciate if you don't have enough tea times, you need to be able to weed out the random people and you know make it a thousand bucks. People that want to play are going to play. You're not just going to get all the randoms to your point, to kind of minimize the demand. But I mean, I'm going to welcome it because I'm still going to spend money on golf and I might actually be able to get a membership <laughs> if people stop, yeah. you know, doing that. But yeah, it, I, I agree with you. I think we're, we're kind of at the top. COVID did a great thing for the golf industry, um, but I, I'm not sure it's a sustainable trajectory that's on. Eventually, there is a top, and I think we're getting close to that right now, and prices are indicating that. All right, let's get into some professional talk. So last week, they had the Zozo Championship over in Japan, and 
funny enough, Colin Morikawa wins. Um, goes out there on Sunday, shoots seven under. Well, everybody else was kind of hovering around even at the top of the leaderboard. Um, he ends up being 14 under. Next closest were Eric Cole and Bo Hosler, who also had the overnight lead at eight under. Um, looking at what Colin was able to do, um, listening to some interviews with his caddy there um, yesterday and today, sounds like his iron game is back. It's crispy again. Um, yeah, add into that. He's getting a little bit more creative around the greens. Putter was working for him. All these things are lining up for him. Um, something that you got to look into because you're the tech guy. Um, he's got a new um, Mitsubishi shaft in his putter, and he said it gave him great feel on his putts. So I know sometimes um, with the pedal shaft, you can hit it and sometimes it pops on you. And like for the long putts, you almost don't have a feel for it. And uh, he said this one, it just feels pure, whether it's a short putt or a long putt. Well, I think it's, you know, you, the technology keeps moving. Like we're starting to see guys play graphite iron shafts. Now we're starting, you know, Bryson's got a, I think it's an LA golf shaft in his putter. I mean, it's, it's only a matter of time until the putter shafts kind of catch up to the driver shafts and all the other technology that's going in. Um, and it just makes sense that, you know, these engineers, they look at shafts all day, regardless of whether it's a driver shaft or, or a, you know, iron shaft or a putter shaft, they're going to come up with a better mousetrap for yeah. the putter. Yeah, and you look at some of the niche guys, and we keep going back to lap putters, but they seem to be the niche guys that are doing the most. As far Dude, as they're the everywhere. Team. I was watching the live, and I know we're on Zozo right now, but you know, I was watching the live. There's so many guys rocking lab putters there. I mean, there, I saw. I can't remember who it was. He was playing the blade lab putter, and you know, you see the lab, you see the mallets on tour with the you know broomstick, whether it's. Um, you know, Adam Scott or Lucas Glover, but you rarely notice their blade putter. I think it's called the link. Um, and I noticed that at least one guy on the live was playing with that one. And it's funny you bring that up because I find that a lot of guys are playing kind of full bag sponsorship deals now, including the putter. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I think it differs on the live. You have more freedom because you're not in these deals anymore with x y or z manufacturer and have to have the full bag so they can go out there and we talked about pricing with that crank driver a couple of weeks ago lab putters showing up now ping being the big um iron and driver um manufacturer on live because they were the first ones to have a truck with the live tour right so um yeah we're starting to see kind of a shift in some of the technology and where guys are going. And I think to your point, creating that mousetrap in the R and D guys are, it takes one guy to be like, this is what I want the feel to be. And then they start to R and D it. And then the normal golfer goes, yeah, that makes sense. Like I'm looking for something like that. And that's right. how they end up selling a bunch of them. Yeah. Well, it goes back. Like I've always been a huge fan of like the discussion around like what clubs would the, professional golfers play if money wasn't involved mm -hmm. you know and i feel like the simplest answer is they're all going to play mizuno irons mizuno or shrixon yeah and you know it's 
you start to see more of that on live. It'll be interesting when, you know, Cam Smith's deal with Titleist is up. Like, where does he go? Because mm-hmm. he strikes irons so well. He's arguably the best putter. Like, does he stay with a Scotty putter or does he switch it up? Does he get away from Titleist? Does he have a mixed bag? Um, do these teams that's have a equipment deals? That's a good point. And that's – so I see um, – Dan Rappaport keeps on talking about teams they haven't sold. So like Liv isn't doing great, all this crap. I'm like, just wait for investment to come to some of these teams in about two, three years from the club manufacturer side as Liv shows that it is going to be here for the long run. I think it's going to be like they have an endless supply of cash. Right. So they're going to continue to inject money into it. So the team aspect is actually an interesting one. And then do you start setting up your team based upon who wants to play these irons, drivers, whatever, um, around that? Yeah. And maybe it's not even a, you know, maybe it's not even a like hard equipment side of things. And maybe it's just like a gear. Like we all want to be wearing, Olakai shoes mm-hmm. and you know whatever rowback um shirts and sweaters and shorts and all of that like maybe that's just the way it starts you don't think you're gonna be hard pressed. square shoes yeah yeah squares <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like it's you're it's easier to get guys to switch their kicks and their shorts and their t-shirt and their golf shirts and their hats than it is to get them to switch their gear, mm-hmm. like their actual equipment. Yep. And, you know, it was, I, me- I remember when it was a huge deal when the UFC signed with Reebok because all the fighters had their own gear contracts. And, you know, like any other professional sports team, it was like, no, the uniform is X company. And I think we're going to see that in live where, you know, you're on the four aces and they are an Adidas team or this is, it's, you know, almost identical to like NCAA football or basketball. Like you go to Duke, you know, you're wearing Nike. Yeah. You go to North Carolina, you know, you're wearing Jordan brand. Yeah. And I think that'll be really interesting when, you know, the four aces sign with Adidas and the crushers sign with, I don't know, whoever else. Yeah. Let's just say Robat or Breezy Golf for that matter, you know? Well, I think it's a good segue. So we'll talk a little bit about the team championship. I want you to bring up the one stat that you had for me the other day when it came to the teams on live, um, because I think it sets up well for the off-season conversation and what they're about to do. Just to kind of wrap things up with the PGA, I think um, they got an off week finally. Um, they're going to be back into it next week and continuing that fall series. So it's really those fringe guys that are still playing that are trying to make that 125 cut. Um, talking to Jared Hack the other week, he was in a Monday qualifier with a couple of guys who had to Monday qualify for the Shriners, but then got an auto spot into the Zozo, which was a um, capped field. So like guys are just completely confused. What fields do I get into automatically? Which ones don't I? Right. Um, does 125 get me my card for next year? Do I have to keep playing? So I think there's even talking to a, a pro golfer who is well connected, there's still confusion amongst the ranks of like, where do I have to finish? 
how does this fall series work? All the other stuff that goes along with it. Um, well, well, that plus like if you're Jared or you're you know someone who doesn't have that automatic into the Zozo, like you're playing this tournament against guys that may not even need to qualify to play in the Shriners because they're leaving to go play in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it's like they shouldn't even be in the Monday qualifier. There needs to be way more clarity around that for everyone else who's on this grind for their you know life goals. Yeah, for their tour cards. For their dream, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But the thing, the one thing, you know, it's the fringe guys. They may, you know, they get a bunch of top tens. They may get a second like that, like a, you know, Bo Hossler and, and the other guy you mentioned. I can't remember his name. Um, Eric but Cole. like, yeah, Eric Cole. Like, yeah, that's a tournament Morikawa should be winning by seven strokes. Mm-hmm. You know, it, what- there's a different, there are top tier professional golfers. And then there is another tier above them. And I would put Morikawa in that tier above them. And if he's in a tournament like that against, you know, vast majority of professionals, but not that like elite tier, he should be winning by that much. Yeah. And the one, uh, I can't remember the exact name for it, but I think it's called the TGU. Um, in essence, they're trying to do, um, global golf rankings for all tours yeah um so then that way you get a rank from one to a million um and no matter what tour you're on you can still get ranked in this and it's supposed to show an overlay of where everybody's at so then that way when you're looking at majors you're not just taking the best in essence the official world golf rankings rank the top 50 players and they're all from the pga tour because that's really the only way to get maximum points is to play for maximum purses um, and play 72 hole stroke play events with 36 hole cuts. So they're trying to do it and show like based upon the analytics and the rest of the stats. So like field strength, um, strokes gained, all that stuff. They roll that all into one and then have a ranking. Where was I love that idea. This? Yeah. So they showed an overlay of the three tournaments that were happening last week. Um, between the PGA Tour, I think DP was also playing, and then the oh the Corn Ferry and Live, and the weakest field was actually the Zozo out of all four. Even the Corn Ferry was a little bit higher. So it just goes to show that in that field, to your point, Morikawa should be winning because he is head and shoulders above everybody else. He has been struggling, but I think this may have been something that may ignite him into 24, give him some of that confidence um, that his game is back. Won five times in 24 months, went 24 months without winning. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, to your point, definitely a downfield with very few names. Like, although your boy was in it, Sahith, Keegan Bradley. um, Right. And, you know, but I still don't consider like, I love them. They'll both those guys. I've been, frankly, I think Keegan should have been on the Ryder Cup team, but like those two are still not in that elite, elite yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Keegan was probably in it a few years ago. Um, but like Sahith is still, he's knocking on the door of that elite level, but he's still only won one time. Yeah. I, well, I, but I'm, to I'm your not point, calling him elite. I'm not calling either one of them. Yeah, no, 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 I know. But to to your point about, or to when you were talking about that, like, new way to rank golfers, like, it's just 
statistics and analytics that needs to be used. Like, you know, you know the rating of the course they're playing. You know all of their stats versus the, the, the field. It should be easier to determine the world rankings than they're making it. It's, they're just trying to, you know, standard old boy golf, like this is how we've always done it. So this is how the world rankings work. And it's like, no, the world has evolved. You need to, you need to evolve your way of ranking golfers. Yeah. And, and even if it's a 30, if it's a 36 hole tournament, a 54, a 72, you still have multiple rounds. It should be like based on the rounds, just like our handicaps are based on the rounds we're playing. So that's how the, the golf rankings should be. I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I'm not a quant. I'm not a stats guy, but like there are people out there. We should just give this to Briz that he can probably figure it out. Absolutely. So it's the Universal Golf Rankings, and I'll put a link to their site in the show notes. Um, they're using, like I said, advanced stats analytics yeah. along with field strength in order to make their rankings. Um, there is still some shortcomings, like I think Cam Smith being ahead of a Bryson with recent form doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, so they got to, they, they still have some things to figure out, but it gets us a little bit closer. It gives us a way to rank everybody that's playing in regularly sanctioned events against other professionals. So it is very interesting to, to see some of these rankings and what they got going on. Um, and it does open up the door because it's the classic to your point. Um, you got to fit a square peg into a round hole if you live, um, and they need to change. And that's what the official world golf rankings um, team is telling them instead of the official world golf rankings changing as times change and as pro golfers go down different avenues to decide to play. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. You're, you're how we've always done it is the worst possible thing you can say for any business to evolve. That's a classic golf saying though. Yeah. Like you got to wear a collared shirt tuck in your shirt and um don't change your shoes in the parking lot yeah exactly don't drink 40 beers yeah yeah we digress um so from a live team perspective last weekend they held their team finals in miami um the crushers ended up winning. So that's Bryson DeChambeau's team with Abraham Lahiri, Charles Howell, and Paul Casey. Range Goats, Bubba Watson's team finished second. The Torques with Joaquin Neiman finished third. And the four aces headed up by DJ finished in fourth. And then, of course, they had the other playoffs um, along the way. But from an overall standpoint, what were your thoughts? I loved it. Okay. Friggin' loved it. Match play. Just, you have teams, put them against each other head to head. I love that it was match play leading up to the final day. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was kind of cool to have like the two, you know, you got your two top guns go out against the other team's two top guns, and then your two other guys play as a team. And it was an alternate um, shot for those guys too. So. Yeah, I, I, I loved it, man. I mean, we've been every time we every time we record a podcast, we talk about how much we love match play, and 
I thought it was great. It kept kept me intrigued in watching it for sure. Yeah. Thursday or Friday, Saturday, I was keeping an eye on it. I was um, trying to follow what was going on. Mickelson wins on the Friday, goes head to head with DJ, was getting crushed, comes back. There was a bit of a storyline there. Um, DJ Hosel Rockets won on the par three. Um, which brought Mickelson right back into the match. I think he tied it then, ends up losing by two. But like some good storylines along the way, some fun to watch um, things. And then on the Friday, Burnt Cheeseburger just was on fire on the greens. And I think he was playing a lap putter, one of the long ones, one of the sweepers. Yep. So just some fun stuff. And again, it creates a bit of that like drama you had. Brooksy playing against Mickelson, um, but then Mickelson's team pulls it out and just, yeah. Yeah, it match play is the way to determine a champion. It It's 100%. It brings in more excitement. It puts more pressure. You're actually competing against someone specific versus a field. I just, I love the way it, it went. You know, I can take or leave the final day where it's like, you know, you're playing for your the best scores and it's just stroke play. Yeah. But I do appreciate how on that last day, like everyone's score counts. So you do have some level of accountability to your team. Absolutely. Like you look at DJ being plus three, letting his team down. Yeah. I don't think they were going to win, but like really set them behind the eight ball um, on that final day. Yeah. Or you watch Bryson's team and it was like him and Anerban, like here you were – like playing really well and the other like Paul Casey and the other guy had to just like just keep it together mm-hmm. and I mean just shoot even par keep it together and the two and, and ride the two hot sticks yep yep yeah if they they could have started on Thursday and still gotten like a full playoff done in match play yeah um I think it is nice to have the four teams going out there and trying to battle for scores on that last day. So I kind of get that. Yeah. Um, keeps the fans engaged at the course too for a couple more groups. Um, it, it is cool though, because they are the upstart. They can change things up. I, I don't think they released how they were going to do the team playoffs until later on in the year. So it was cool to see them mix in some of that match play. And I think it is some of the feedback that a lot of people are giving on either Twitter, Instagram. Well, I think they're just listening to our podcast and taking all our suggestions, which I you know, very much appreciate. Absolutely. Um, now, you threw out a stat to me when it came to the well, team. Before, I get, so into, before I get into that, I do want to thank Patrick Reed's wife for letting him wear her pants for the, for the finals. <laughs> Um, you know, we all know she wears the pants in that relationship, but she lets him borrow them when he has tournaments. Um, but no, for the the team, I, what I thought was really interesting was that you know it was a what fourteen million dollars for the winning team, twelve fourteen. Yeah, fourteen. So of that fourteen million, sixty percent of it goes directly to the team. It doesn't go to the players, and then each player gets ten percent of that of that purse so if it's 14 each player got 1.4 million and then the rest of it went into the team as an organization mm-hmm. 
So it's like, what do you, my question for it. And like, I get how that would work from a premier league soccer team or European soccer or football team. But like, you know, 14 million, 60% is six, eight million bucks of the 14, let's say. Like, what do you, what do they do with that eight million bucks? Well, are you signing new free agents? Are you? That's exactly it. That's the horizon. So that's what the, that's why the off season is going to be fun here too. Because like is it is it like a condo corporation where like you have a certain amount gets paid to like run the building, but then you have this slush fund you're just building up in case something happens? Like that's how I kind of see that 60% going. Well, I think part of it is all the dollars that they have coming in, whether it be from winning tournaments or from sponsorships, is going to go into that pool. And because they aren't getting the dollars from sponsorships that they used to get, I think they are getting a paycheck through the team through right. that. So I think that's part of it. I think the other part, and you hit the nail on the head, I think, A, there's going to be transfer fees. So if there's trades that are going on, maybe they're lopsided trades where you give them a couple extra Rick to pick a guy up. That yeah. might be part of it. I think in order to sign like, guys, like Brooksy paying to, some, Brooksy paying someone to take Matt Wolf off his hands, he may even have to pay Matt Wolf to get lost. Yeah, I don't know how that works. So there is going to be stuff like that where I think you're going to have to pay guys to get lost if you don't if they don't work on the team, um, transfer fees, and then signing bonuses. I think are going to be all included in that. Right. So it's very much like a the slush fund for each team to make changes in the future. Yeah. And to leverage and uh, yeah. And to be able to pay their players. So I think the, the winning teams are the teams that have the most marketing funds are going to be the ones that are well off into the future. There are some that haven't really done too much as far as marketing the team is concerned. So they may be in trouble and I'm looking at Brooksy. You guys finished almost dead fucking last. And I haven't really seen him sign anything from a marketing perspective. The one team that's doing a great job of it, and I got to check the name, but it's the European team with uh, Poulter and Westwood and all them. Um, The Majestics, they actually have sponsorships. So they got bag sponsorships with the, um, in essence, they're like a smart pad in the front of the bag that has rolling sponsors on it. Um, and then they signed a couple of other deals. So they're one of the only ones that I've really seen that have been signing deals outside of traditional golf sponsorships. And I think it's called OK Good or something, um, the sponsor that they picked up. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, how many of those guys are, are facing relegation right now? Like yeah. What, like Poulter and Westwood, I'm pretty sure, are on that list. Well, no, because they're captains, so they get out of that role. Exactly. That's exactly what I mean, though. Like, just because you're a captain, you don't have to play well? Yeah. You know, like, that's the other big thing with this is, like, you know, these guys were paid to be there. They're paid to perform. They're paid to drive it. And then they're not performing. Now, one could argue that by securing these sponsorships, Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood have kind of done what they've earned that money back for Liv. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think they're gonna they're gonna have to become more self sufficient eventually. 
these teams and that's part of the process and the growing up process. Like these guys have never had to do this in the past. Um, well, they've never really been allowed to either. That's the other piece. Good point. Good point. It's really been, and we've talked about this, um, the PGA secures everything and then they give you little siphoned off pieces of it um, along the way, but they really aren't paying you the value that you're deserving of. Well, you're not allowed to like market yourself either. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's where the big win is. Like Bryson DeChambeau, every time I go on YouTube, I'm getting hit with shit from his channel. Mm -hmm. Like he's treating this like he's a golf. He's treating this like he's good, good. Or like Busta Jack or one of those guys. Like he's legitimately creating content Mm -hmm. and marketing himself that way, which is genius. That's the next avenue. Like, YouTube could be the next TV in the sense of people aren't looking to watch a half an hour or an hour show on cable television. So they're going elsewhere and it's a free avenue for people to go to watch content. For sure. I mean, I love, I take in way too much content. Like I should probably be teaching myself skills instead of taking this content. But like, I love Busta Jack is like, they're my favorite to watch. I just like their dynamic. I like how they play golf. I like their, um, you know, 50 states in 50 weeks, golf and old glory. Like I just like them. And even when, and I'll watch all of their videos, but every so often they'll have one where it's like a full 18 and it's like 30 minutes. And the first thing that goes through my head is like, I don't want to watch 30 minutes of this. Like I do and I will, but like, you know, the, we're, we're dealing in a, in a, we're in a time and a generation and all of that where everyone has ADHD and we need like quick hits of reels and, you know, clips and things like that. And I think that's where live is starting to go in a better way than the pga like mm-hmm. i can go on here i didn't catch the saturday round for live so i just went on youtube and they had their own channel here's all the highlights from the match play for saturday it was like eight minutes long mm-hmm. perfect versus the pga it's like you're waiting for someone else to do the editing and do the review and the synopsis for you that isn't just the pga yeah, I think uh, I think you should be spending more time trying to increase our brand presence than you are watching Busted Jack, but that's just me. Yeah. And then um, true. Well, it's research, man. It's research. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Um, fuck, there's something else I was gonna say too, um, because it was on topic. But um, anyways. Maybe it'll come back to me at some point here. Let's talk about the Grant Thornton because I yeah, think let's this, do it. yeah, this brings us back to a conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago, um, where I threw out the idea of having a mixed event, but using a signature event to have some of the biggest names at the tournament in order to elevate the tournament for not only the PGA but also the LPGA. Um, from the field, like I may as well list everybody. I. I can put it in the show notes also, but like you're looking at Nelly Corda, Tony Fino, um, Lexi Thompson, Ricky Fowler, Joel Damon, Brooks Henderson, Corey Connors, Rose Zhang, Sahith Tagala, Charlie Hall, Justin Rose, like the names go on. 
So I think there is a good mix of top tier male and female talent here. Yeah. A lot of them coming from similar countries. Um, so you got that Brooks and Corey Connors, Rosenhall, um, Dane, Lydia Ko, whole bunch of them. So it's cool to see that um, kind of thing going on. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do with this event going forward. Well, um, they should do this in the Olympics. Yeah. Are they, so my question is, I don't know if you looked into it more than I did. Are they going just straight better ball? Are they doing a scramble? Are they doing so a there's, there's It's three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Friday, the opening round is scramble. Two-person scramble. Okay. Both hit T-balls, pick the best one. Both hit it from there. Off you go. Super cool. Second round is alternate shot. So each player hits alternate hit alternate sorry, each player each team's players alternate hitting shots in the same ball. Um and then the third day is a modified four ball. And this is kind of cool. You both hit a tee shot and then you have to play your partner's tee shot in. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I'm super excited to watch it where and I, 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 I didn't, I, I might've missed it. Like, are they playing the same tees? Are they playing different tees? I, I don't know. So I've, I've got a gap in that, but let's just assume they're playing separate tees. Or it, I guess it doesn't matter. Let's just assume like I watch women's golf and they're so good with their irons and their short games. And now you're giving Lydia Ko a shot in the modified four ball from Jason Day's 330 yard drive. Yeah. Like it it could end up being a really low scoring. Yeah. That last day could get real interesting. So yeah, it's scramble for scramble alternate shot modified four ball. I'm watching all three days. This is sweet. That's a really cool event that they're putting together and like I brought up, like the star power there. I think it's going to draw a lot of eyeballs. You're already excited about it. I'm getting excited about it. So um, we'll keep an eye on it as we get closer to that date. I think the one piece, to your point, are they playing the same tees or are they playing different tees? Um, I got to assume they're playing different tees, but that's just me. Um, But they're also playing at a Tiburon, which is a great course to watch. Mm-hmm. At so, no, I love watching tournaments when they have them there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. One of the good things that the PGA Tour is finally doing. Yep. I think uh, I think a lot of the executives are listening to this show and they must be. Yeah. Ideas, so. I know. That's all I really have for this week. Me too, man. That was a good conversation. I think it, I'm glad we took a couple weeks off because leading up to Ryder Cup, it was starting to get a bit tiring. Turned into a bit of a job. But like, you know, with Liv finishing up and how they finished the season, that was awesome. This Grant Thornton, I'm really excited for. So it should be, I think the there's they've reset the golf world and i think we're gonna you know the excitement will be back there especially because we can't play anymore at this point yeah. um unless you want to go to like arizona for a week 
Or go to the indoor golf simulators. Yeah, that too. Well, we have, um, we got Q school to keep an eye on because Jared is currently sitting at six under through 36 holes. He's inside the cut line to make it on to stage two. If he can keep it together tomorrow. Amazing. Um, what else do we have? Um, the world top 100 rankings for 2023 just came out. Unfortunately, there is only two courses from Canada, both of which are Cabot um, I saw that. out on the East Coast. Thought there might be a third or a fourth one on there, but um, I don't know if that speaks to like how good golf is globally or the lack of top tier golf we have here. We could talk about that in coming weeks. Um, but yeah, it gives us something to talk about. Yeah, man. I saw that pop up on Instagram and I was looking at it. Yeah. I've got oh, some opinions, but we can, yeah, we can save those for later. Absolutely. And then we're also, for anybody who follows us on Instagram, we're going to have three new segments coming up that are going to be kind of like shorts. We're going to start with the first one, perception versus reality. I've sent Al over my first one that I created. I'll create a couple more, but just trying to get some more content out there. I think we all have a perception of what our golf swings and what our game looks like. And we'll be matching that up with what reality actually is on those shots. Newsflash. (laughs) It's never what you think it is. (laughs) Um, Second one is going to be, what the hell were they thinking? Um, So we'll go inside the mind of some of these PGA Tour shots and amateur shots on what their minds were going through during their shot. Um, just to see what happened. Um, a lot of them are going to be some crappy shots, so we'll see what they were thinking. And then the last one is, of course, the dreaded fart during the swing. Oh, we can't make contact content without farts. So <laughs> everybody loves a good fart video. Yeah. So those are going to be the three to keep your eyes open for in the coming weeks. But uh, yeah, outside of that, have a good week. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Later.